Welcome to the Healthy Love and Money Podcast. If you find money to be the number one, two, or even third largest source of stress in your relationship, then you're in the right place. Going beyond how to budget, invest, and do your taxes, we're going to explore financial intimacy. Discover how to talk with your partner about your shared financial life. Let's take the awkward and painful out of money conversations. Join me and hit follow to listen to weekly inspiring, healing, and motivating interviews with financial therapists, couples therapists, and financial planners, and so many more. Let's go on the journey of financial intimacy together. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Healthy Love and Money Podcast. Today, it's my honor and joy to welcome Bill Nelson to the show. He's with Pace Center Financial Planning, and he's a fellow CFP and certified financial therapist. He has a new book out called Marriage-Centered Money that I'm so excited about because I know he's put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into clarifying his ideas to help couples get on the same page together and achieve their life goals together. And so we're going to be talking a lot about uh, especially newlyweds, because that, Bill, that's kind of a sweet spot for you. You love working with newlyweds, as I understand it, and all the things that have to happen for a couple to kind of really fully blend their financial life together. So with all that said, Bill, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks so much. Uh, thanks for having me and looking forward to a good discussion here today. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I'd like to start the show with, can you tell folks a little bit about yourself and how did you get into the world of financial planning? Yeah, absolutely. So I um, I graduated college a little over a decade ago, studied economics, started my career in kind of the corporate financial consulting world, uh, bounced around a few kind of different projects and ended up getting my first experience working with investors, so to speak. I was helping the Small Business Administration manage one of their loan portfolios. So we were talking to some of the investors of the program and the borrowers and um, started to get an idea for what investing was all about and what like the financial planning or financial advising world could look like and um stayed in that role until my um my wife at the time girlfriend or i'm sorry wife now <laughs> well girlfriend at the time um she was she, you know, she's a primary care doctor she graduated med school and um she um you know was doing residency we ended up moving to philadelphia um, as part of that. And at, it was at that point I made the shift into becoming a financial advisor. I worked for a, a national company that primarily works with retirees, very stereotypical investment management, um, investment focus. And stayed there long enough to know that I really liked having conversations about money with people and helping them figure out what it is they wanted to do with their money and why money was important to them. But you know, a lot of the questions I was getting at the time were people who were just out of school, had student loan debt, um, were getting engaged and married, and um, at the older end of the, the the range of people that were reaching out to me, they were talking about saving for a newborn's college, that kind of thing. In a world where I was yeah. working primarily, I was expected to primarily work with retirees, there was a disconnect there. And so I ended up in 2016... Um, leaving that job, getting married myself uh, a month after I left the job, and then starting paysetter planning a month after my wedding. Um, and I, the, the biggest lesson I learned there was don't quit your job, start a company, and get married within a 60-day time frame because uh, it was uh, a little bit chaotic. So <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Yeah. So, um, and and the, ever since then, I haven't haven't really looked back. I'm so struck at some of the parallels I don't think I realized between your life and mine in that you you were set to marry a doctor, residency, getting married. I was 
set to get married to a dentist who was finishing re- after she finished residency. We got married. And I left my career as a firefighter to become a financial planner, not understanding that I'm really setting up as a business owner that does financial mm-hmm. planning. Like, you know, it's a, more of a sales role. But that was like, talk about a rough first 60 days of your marriage when like you go from income stability and I know what I'm doing and I can pay my bills to, honey, I don't know how I'm going to make any money. And this has turned out really bad for me. Like what are we, we're going to make it through now. So, but you made it through the first 60 days. Your wife is now a practicing physician. You're a financial planner and you've shifted that focus from the retirees to newlyweds and people launching their life together. Yeah, that's right. And, and, and a lot of that came from that experience I had in, you know, leaving my job, was sitting the morning, like the, the day of my uh, wedding rehearsal, emailing with the, the regulators as I was trying to get my documents approved to become a, a financial planner. <laughs> and then, oh, you know, no. coming back, like kind of d- detaching for the wedding and honeymoon and then coming back and putting all the pieces together and building a website and like all, all the work that it takes to get off the ground before you can actually even take on any clients. And so I, I learned a lot about and maybe, and I'll be at a little bit of an extreme case scenario of the types of financial decisions that uh, couples face when they are engaged and they get married. Everything from planning the wedding and figuring out how to to pay for that and how much you want to spend for that, if that's something you're doing on your own, to um, handling student loan debt, which I still had a little bit of at the time when I was making this um, transition to career changes and job changes and figuring out where it is we want to plan our roots as a new family. Um, even just down to, of course, combining accounts and figuring out the right way and the the timing and sequencing for us to um, to do that. Like I, I was kind of living a lot of these things firsthand as I was getting up yeah. and running. And so I, I primarily kind of launched back in 2016, marketing to young people in general, but quickly found that the the, the language I was speaking at the time really. Um, was catered to those engaged in newlywed couples. And then over time, I, I just worked to build up that expertise. Wow. I mean, I'm, I'm so glad that you, I don't know, fortitude is the word that's coming to my mind, but there might be a better word. It's just the fortitude to stick through all of that and, and to sort through it and figure it out. And I can imagine that, you know, working with a handful of newlyweds myself is, and, and having been through that experience, you just laid layered through so many of the decisions that are making. And one of the things you didn't say directly, but I was, I'm really curious about is, did you learn how to become dependent on your wife financially for a little period of time as you're getting the business up and going? And what was that like? What I'm imagining the story is Bill goes from having a paycheck to I'm starting my own financial planning practice. I have no paycheck now and I'm married. And is she into medical practice or residency? Yeah, she, she was in residency at the time. And so um, she was she had a paycheck coming in, but um, it wasn't much. <laughs> let, me, let me put it that way. Um, it's modest. Yeah. Yes. Res- yes. Yeah, I, I think that I don't view it so much looking back on it as dependent per se, but it was more that we just really needed to learn how to work together, right? Because I, I had had a really good job for for years before I made that transition. I had a bunch of money saved up um, and with the intention that I was going to burn through some, most, all of that um, as I got the, 
business up and running. So it, it wasn't so much that we were planning to just just rely on her paycheck. We tried to as much as possible, um, and and we did okay. to a certain degree. But I, I I do think that you know we were both bringing different pieces of the financial picture to the table together, which, by the way, is always the case, no matter what the individual circumstance is, no matter what the um, what the financial situation yeah. of a couple is, right? But there are bo- both parties here are always bringing something to the table. The question is, how do we merge them together in an optimal way for, for the new family? And I think we were able to, to, to do that in a way that where we were both kind of contributing in our own in our own ways. I really love that. And that, I imagine that's part of kind of the philosophy and the way you're working with clients and couples is you're trying to identify what's each person bringing to the table, what financially, but also maybe kind of relationally, psychologically, because all those pieces are interconnected. Yeah, I love that. So as you're on this journey, where did the financial therapy piece come into play for you? It's a great question. I will, I will never forget it. Um, so that there were a couple things that happened within short order. Um, it was maybe six months or so after I got started that I had a, had an Android call with somebody who booked a, booked a call on my website. Um, he had said in the email that he was married, and I got on the call, and just he was there. Um, and I, I tell the story in, in my book in the introduction. I probably call him Doug for the sake of confidentiality. That wasn't his actual name. But yeah. um, right. I never had a call with somebody before who was married where only one person showed up um right that that was that was a new new thing for me and i didn't know how to handle it and and i just i ended up just asking like just out of curiosity is there any reason your wife isn't here today is there any reason it's just us right you know he he had told me it had a mountain of credit card debt earlier in the conversation and you know he initially he just kind of brushed it off and said she had a conflict and I said, okay, like, can we set up a time for the two of us to meet? Because I, I don't, at the time, I did not, and I still don't work with a couple of us. I talked to both members to make sure that I'm a fit for both people. Right. Um, and, he, and he paused and he said, you know, to, to be honest with you, like, my, my wife doesn't know about the credit card debt, and I'm embarrassed to tell her about it. And, uh-huh. and it, that was the moment where I realized that me, as the naive young financial planner who had all these spreadsheets he was going to change the world with, um, there wasn't a spreadsheet to solve that problem, right? Of how do we handle the scenario <laughs> where um, we could clean up the credit card debt pretty quickly by taking the right steps. Like I can help with that, but in terms of getting the wife right. on the same page and up to speed with what's going on and addressing whatever underlying issues caused the fact that this was a secret at that point in time, I didn't know the term financial infidelity in that moment, but right. um, that's that's a term that I know now, of course, but. Um, you know, how do we handle that? Right. And then, and then, fast forward a few months later to a, a different couple who I had been working with for a while. Um, you know, a couple, a couple meetings in, and I, you know, we were talking. I don't even remember what it is we were talking about, but they had said to me, like, after I had asked them a question, oh, that's a really good question. Like, I, I didn't expect that we were going to be like coming to a financial therapist when we started working with you. Uh, at which point, the, again, the math nerd spreadsheet lover and me immediately right. said, nope, that's not what you signed up for. I'm not a therapist. <laughs> um, but but I, you know, I, I heard that. I heard that. And then I heard it again yeah. from a different couple a few months later and again from a third couple. And I, I, I came to learn that what that meant was that I just asked pretty good questions and listened to the, their answers. 
But then I said, oh, like the, I wonder if financial therapy is a thing. Like, I wonder if that's something that I could actually learn more about right. if I'm getting that feedback from my clients when I'm very right. intentionally not trying to go down that road. What would happen if I actually <laughs> went down that road? Right, right. And, and here we are. I love it. So now that you've gone down that road, uh, what's your understanding of financial therapy as as you get it now and as you use it with clients? And and it, I'm assuming, I mean, it's in your name, on your book cover. So like you're willing to go down that road and do some of the role of financial therapy. Now. I, I'm willing to go down that road, although in, in a in a supporting role, right? I am a financial planner first and foremost um, who... Right. draws on money and emotion type issues and help you know, to, to work yeah. through the obstacles that you're facing. I, I like to think right. about it as you're, you're, you're driving a car, right? And the, the problem I find when we, when there are underlying a financial, like emotional issues or, or like obstacles in the relationship about money is that we, we spend too much time looking through the rear view mirror in, in those right. scenarios. And, you know, you're, you're driving the car, you're making future financial decisions moving forward down the road while you're just looking in the rear view sure. mirror. Um, and to, to me, with the way that I think about, about financial therapy or financial therapeutic techniques is, like, the rear view mirror is an important tool. We absolutely need to, to glance back and use it from time to time um, sure. in the right times, in the right places. Uh, but we need to be looking forward when we're driving ahead as well. And so you know, how do we um, go back to, you know, I don't even necessarily mean like going back to childhood and, and those type of things, but, you know, just within the nature of, of a marriage, you know, both spouses are coming to the marriage with different uh, money habits, money attitudes, money beliefs, trying to figure in. And yeah. you know, sometimes that leads to overt money fights. Sometimes that leads to money avoidance. Um, you know, how do we, look ahead while addressing the things that we're leaving behind. And so to, to me, that that's the primary framework I tend to use when I think through how to use financial therapy concepts and financial planning. Yeah, it sounds like what you're saying is, look, the past is in the past and it's there. And sometimes we need to look in the rearview mirror to take a look and see what's there and maybe how it's shaping how we're driving today. But really what we can control is how are we driving today and kind of in a bigger and more conventional financial planning sense, where on the map are we trying to go here, folks? Because right now we're driving in circles around downtown, lost on one-way streets. And it seems to me that you want to end up at, on the countryside, metaphorically. You know, like, yeah, that, 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 that's exactly right, right. We need to have something that we're working towards um, or else that we, we, we can just get bogged down and stuck either in the past or in the present. Um, you know, I, I definitely have, have lived that in my, in my own experience. Uh, I've seen a, a lot of couples struggle with finding the right balance between addressing things that have happened in the past or um, even just attitudes about money that have developed over time with, okay, but where do we want to go? And so kind of finding the right balancing act between the, those two ideas. Yeah, one of the people I've really come to appreciate tracking, his name is Dan Siegel, and he's helped develop this whole field called interpersonal neurobiology. And when he talks about, like, what is mental health? Uh, for me, it's one of the most helpful frames because he he balances that, like, being able to live in the present, reflect on the past, but not be consumed by it, draw lessons from it, and then 
to kind of be able to project in the to the future based on past and present, right? And so we're valuing all three of those things. And what I've found, and it sounds like you kind of hit on this, is man, as as humans and sometimes different therapy models even will get really focused on what happened in the past and trying to make sense and process out of that. Some models and philosophies are like all we have is now, so just focus on now and be pre- focus on being present kind of to the exclusion of the past or the present. And then, you know, some orientations are so future-oriented that it's kind of like, well, yeah, but I want to enjoy a slice of pizza day and go for a walk on the beach with my wife and enjoy that. So, right, I think what you're you're striking at and what I hear is, yeah, when all three views are valuable, but let's understand why they're valuable and how much to use of each of them to live the life that you need to live. Is that is that kind of what you're getting at? Yeah, I, I, I completely agree, right? I completely agree. To me... Traditional financial planning is classically just looking forward, right? We know we need to save X amount of money to retire at this date. Um, we're right. only focused on what we need to do to hit that. A lot of times when people hear about like financial therapy, like often I find that the initial first impression people have is that we're we're only looking backwards and only looking to the past. But to, to me, like um, and, and often when I when I come when I start working with couples, like there is some sort of tangible um, conflict or issue or thing that we just need to figure out how to manage together, either in the past or in the present. Um, and I think it's really really helpful to have that north star that you're working towards, right? To to kind of pull you out of the present day to show you the path forward to a world where these issues aren't issues anymore but we need to look we need need to handle those those issues too at the same time hey everyone thank you so much for listening to the healthy love and money podcast i'm honored that you spend time with me listening to these incredible interviews i love working with individuals and couples around their financial life integrating mental health and relational well-being i'd love to personally invite you into my financial planning practice where i do therapy informed financial planning bringing together mental health, relationship health, and financial well-being. If you're thinking that's the type of help you'd like, please see the show notes below to schedule your free 30-minute discovery call. And I'll look forward to seeing you and hearing more about your unique story and how I can best support you. Now, back to the show. Right. I think it, it maybe what I'm hearing is it's like, let's see if we can at least cast a little bit of hope and help you imagine a future for yourself so that's something you can look forward to getting to. Um, not to distract from what the present issue or some pain from the past, but as just to say like, yeah, I hear you. This is where we are today. And at least for me, Bill, as humans, I know we can also have hope and we can create a better future. It's going to take some work today to sort through and figure out. And it may take some work to even get clearer on where there's that future point, but we can make a reasonable assumption that most of us want some future point that's desirable. Agreed. Yes. You know, and that, that can that can get clearer as we move towards it, but it's just like you're so mired in the pain and the muck that it's like you've forgotten that there's a future to even live for. Yeah. And and, and, I, and I would even take it a step further when I think about couples in that, you know, typically, you know, money fights and money, like different points of view are exceptionally common in, in re- relationships. Um, Guaranteed, but, I would I would say. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And so when when I ask a couple about how they feel about 
um, you know, one person has a lot of student loan debt, like should the other contribute to it or not? Um, like, but they, each member of the couple is likely to have very strong feelings about that and they may be aligned or they may not be. Um, but if I was to ask that same couple, like, what do we want your lives to look like 50 years from now or, or even a decade from now, right? Usually there's much more consensus around that future vision, right? P- people who are attracted to one another and want to build a life together. Um, the, the destination usually, um, maybe not a hundred percent agreement, but like there tends to be much more agreement on those type of things. And then from there, like it, it, it I find it just kind of having that be the focal point can help to work through some of these, these more, um, the emotional issues and, or, or whatever it may be that the couple's facing today. Something about that's hitting at a deeper level for me in, in kind of a, a new or refreshed way. I really appreciate what you're sharing there is just that power of having the North star and how that can draw a couple through using the pragmatic, you know, starting couple, one person's bringing a lot of student loan debt, the other person's not, and they're mired in, well, whose responsibility is it? And and maybe kind of part of where my mind is going is in 50 years, when you look back on that, are you going to really care who paid for it? Because I think, right. It's in the early phases of your marriage, you're, you like the concept of you're bringing your life together, but you're still really two different individuals. But when you get married and I'm sorry, I'm not remembering exactly how long you've been married, but it's been long enough. It's not two years, right? I'm at 17 years. And it's like, no, we've been married. We've married six, six years. So, yeah. So even right at six years, right. What it means that it's a shared life together is probably wildly deeper and more profound now than it was when you got married. And I know at 16 years of marriage, like, our life is so deeply interwoven and what I contribute and she contributes is so kind of blended that it matters and it doesn't matter who's contributing what. So I think if we keep that long view, it's like, yeah, we're both in this together. Like this is our shared journey. It's not your student loan debt or mine. It's, it's ours. We're, we're in this together. So let's figure out how we solve this together. Or it's not. And we figure out how to still build toward that dream life despite that, right? I, um, I have thoughts about whether it's better for, like, to, to pool that kind of thing versus to keep it separate, certainly. I'm personally of a belief that there is a right and wrong answer for every couple um, when it comes to handling decisions like that. Um, but the right answer for one couple is not always the right answer for the other. And so we need to, to, to navigate that pretty carefully. But I, I, I usually find, though, that kind of looking at that longer-term view at least elicits some clarity around that. I tell a story in my book uh, that is completely made up, by the way. I, I, I mentioned that later on after, after I tell the story in the book about a couple who got married where um, I think it was Tom and Tina, I think, were the names they used for that particular chapter. And Tom had six figures of student loan debt, um, wasn't particularly financially diligent, according to Tina, right? Tina had a really good job, was on a really good trajectory. Um, you know, she basically said to herself, like, when he gets serious about his, um, you know, fi- financial situation, I'll, I'll maybe be willing to help, con- you know, to, to contribute to that. But they never really had that conversation particularly well. And you fast yeah. forward 10, 15, 20, 30 years, and she's in a position where she's ready to retire at 55 because she's done a really good good job saving. He's never going to be able to retire um, because he hasn't been because he's been dealing with the student loan debt. And, you know, they're, they're retired and they're still splitting bills because 
Like that's what they've done up until this point. Why would it change now? And you know, meanwhile, when I when I talked to a couple like younger couples about like you know, are are you going to be are you going to still going to be Venmoing back and forth fifty years from now? The the answer is typically, well, no, no, of course not. By that point, we'll we'll combine things. And so I say, okay, great. What what's going to change between then and now? Like, how are you going to know you're at that inflection point where it's time yeah, to start combining these things versus not? And um, that th- that I find is 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 where kind of looking to the future can can help sometimes right you have to to you know how only when we think about what we want that long-term picture to look like and then reverse engineer like what are the steps we need to take and when to get there no i really appreciate you pushing back on me because i think you're right is right i've crossed that bridge where for my wife and i and what works for us is yours mine and ours is all it's all interwoven and Mm -hmm. i think if I'm picking up your point correctly, I've worked with enough couples where they've worked with a financial advisor, a pastor, a therapist who said, like, this is the way you need to do it without really understanding the people and their own psychology and what they're actually able to commit to and do that ends up having catastrophic effects. So agreed. In a right, like in a well, you're the husband, so you should be responsible for paying the bills wife you need to turn over the to him doing that and i've had that happen that that scenario meanwhile the husband is not qualified or capable or diligent to focus on paying bills and managing the the household finances but the wife is taking the advice of the professional that this is what they should do and to catastrophic effects 20 years 30 years down the road and so this is, I think, to your point, right? There's a right and wrong answer for every couple, but what's right or wrong can be different for each couple. And that's where that wisdom and guidance as a as professionals, you and I, try to help couples sort through, like, what's the right answer for the two of you in this scenario? What, what's going to work best for the two of you? Because the two of you are going to live with each other. I'm not living yeah. with you. Yeah, Um Absolutely. The, the the most important thing I've learned in my years of doing financial planning, I actually think directly applies to financial therapy. Well, I'll be careful with how I say this. Like it, it applies to the concept of financial therapy, but you'll see where I'm going with this kind of hesitation in a second, yeah. I think. But um, yeah. the, the concept is from, from Carl Richards, who's a New York Times columnist about money, wrote two best-selling books about money. And, and it's this idea that the financial industry is really, really good at writing prescriptions for people, right? You know, you always need to combine all your accounts when you get married, or you should never combine any accounts when you get married. You you will find really, really good, really, really popular uh, financial influencers, so to speak, who have radio shows or the other things, like who will argue for each of those things, right? Now, one who believes one, another equally respected who believes the other, right? We're really good about handing out those prescriptions. What we're not so good about is doing the diagnosis first to make sure you're actually taking the right prescription. And so, you know, but, but before we start writing the prescriptions, we need to take the time to really get a really thorough diagnosis in place. And that's both where the idea of financial therapy comes in and where I hesitated a little bit because um, like we're not actually giving a literal diagnosis in that sense, right? But we're, we're diagnosing the problem yeah. um, and, and, and then helping the, the couple find the right solution. Right. And recognizing, I think part of that hesitation is diagnosis is such a loaded term, 
right? Because we we use it in the medical field, we use it in the medical uh, medical field, mental health field, but we also use it in the car inspection world, the diagnostics, right? Because the exactly. word diagnostic is pointing to identifying where the problem is. So <clears throat> it's a loaded word, but what we're Bill, I think you did a great job, is just saying like we're trying to diagnose what is the problem here. And I think what's for me, and this is part of my philosophy, so it may not be yours, and that's a perfectly fine, is mm-hmm. I think part of the joy for me of being a financial therapist is I, recognizing I have my own financial philosophies that guide how I see the world and what I think you know is healthy or helpful. And at the same time, creating space for couples to say, like, there are different financial philosophies out there for the two of you to consider. And we'll just use the combined accounts, not combined accounts as like, just naming and normalizing in the marketplace of ideas. There are people that are full on hundred percent all in full transparency, blah, 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 blah. And they make a compelling case for it. And then there are people on this other end of the continuum that say, absolutely not. You have the right to privacy, separate accounts, make sense, blah, 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 blah. And, and then there's voices in between, right? But the polarized ones usually get the loudest and most attention. That is correct. Yeah, um, I, I completely agree with that. So, right, part of, from my perspective, our role as a financial therapist is to, to know that market space of ideas and financial philosophies, and then to be able to help people sort through and figure out how do we apply, you know, whether it's a combining account philosophy or a spending philosophy and investment philosophy, right? Because that, look, I mean, there's... <laughs> You start reading different people's opinions about the right way to invest money and your head can explode because everybody's equally convinced that their method of investing is God's gift to humanity. (laughs) Yep, that's right. So, you know, I mean, that's partly why money becomes so taboo is it's, you know, politics, religion and money. Like we all got an opinion about what's right. And I think the role of the financial therapist is helping sort through the variety of different opinions and landing on that place that's going to work well for the individual and the and the couple in our, our context. Yeah, no, completely agree. Wow. These interviews are always so fun, you know, because I know you, you submitted the form in advance. I glanced through it and I'm like, ah, I'm just going to go where I want to go. And I'm having fun, Bill. Are you having fun with this? I'm having a great time. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, good, good. So, you know, as you're as we kind of circle back to couples launching their life together and blending their financial life, what are some of those exercises or thought the thought exercises or experiential exercises you like to walk them through to help them start sifting through and figuring out how they're going to do their journey? Yeah, and, and you're you're going to be surprised to hear this, um, given the way that I, I teed this up. I'm I'm kidding. Um, I I like to start looking forward first and foremost. Right, where what do we want to build toward? And the way. The way I typically do that is to help couples create a mission statement for for their family. Um, you know, when okay. the, the the way that I typically teach this to people is, you know, if you imagine you were the C, CFO in charge of making financial decisions for um, your favorite company, whatever that might be. And I, I grew up in Massachusetts. My example is always Dunkin' Donuts coffee. It is perfectly mediocre. There is nothing special about it, but it's where I'm from, and I drink it every day, and, it, and, it, and it's it's wonderful and not special at all. Um, and so, you know, if I'm the if I'm the, the CFO of, of Dunkin' Donuts, and my employees come to me with two different like a decision to make, right? Two product ideas. Like I have the money to invest in one of them. Like, how do I know which one is the right option? Right. That the answer is to 
you know, I look at the numbers, of course, obviously, but it, but if the, if the numbers are, yeah. are are similar, or you think that that each each of them could potentially be successful, like you go back to the mission statement of Dunkin' Donuts and like what what is the company all about? What's important to the company? What sort of experience do you want to deliver? Um, and if and if you go and decide for whatever reason you want to take the time to look up Dunkin' Donuts' mission statement, as I have. Um, it's all about efficiency, uh, right? It's all about getting you where you need to go on time. And um, right. you know, nobody sits down and reads a new, well, nobody sits down to read a newspaper anymore in general, but um, you know, no, nobody sits down and does their work at a Dunkin' Donuts location, right? You get in, you get your mediocre coffee and you are very happy and you go on your way. Um, whereas Starbucks, their biggest competitor is, is exactly the opposite, right? You know, it's all about the experience at Starbucks from the music they play to the lighting, to the way they have the, the yeah. products laid out to how everything's customized for you to the weird names they have for their drink sizes. Like it's, um, <laughs> nothing is efficient yeah. at Starbucks, right? It's, it's, it's all about the experience and, and their mission statement reflects that, you know, so you, you have, you have these two two companies in the same space with completely different user experiences when you're there or customer experiences yeah. when you're when you're there and that comes from their mission statements it comes from what the company is all about and um and most of us don't have family mission statements most of us haven't taken the time to art, art, articulate what's most important to us as a family and so what that means is when we do face a difficult decision when we, uh, whether it be purely financial in right. terms of what we should be investing in or what type of account should we be using, whether it's something that's kind of financially adjacent where it certainly has financial implications, but it's not literally about the money. So, for example, a career change or deciding to move or something right. like that, right? If we don't have yeah. that mission statement to use to guide us, how do we make that decision, right? That's where the money fights come in. That's how couples can talk themselves into making the wrong decision. Um, it happened with my wife and I before we, we we got to this point in terms of figuring out where we should be moving and settling down and planning roots as a family. And so um, that's a very long-winded answer, I think, to to get at what my favorite exercise to do is, which is to help help take that time to create that that mission statement, just like you would if you were a company, so that you have something to reference when, not if, those difficult decisions come up. I I love everything that you just shared, and it just sings to my business heart, right? Which, you know, so part of my own journey, having gone from firefighter into business school, working in the business world and going into the therapy world, um, the business world and the therapy world are very different cultures. Mm -hmm. And the orientation and what they bring to the table is both good, but sometimes at odds, and at least my interpretation of what's going on. And so, you know, I was... I remember being in that place where, yeah, mission statements and vision statements and all that is really good and productive to do and makes the business case. And and then somewhere in my journey of becoming a couple of some family therapists, like I, I sequestered or pushed that down. Like, that's not helpful. That's not like what we need to do to help families. We need to do, this is what we need to do. And so, you know, as I'm listening to you describe today, the value and the purpose and and we didn't fully talk about this, but I'm imagining what it's like for couples to be invited into this process of developing a family mission statement, how powerful it is. And I, uh, I interviewed a couple of other folks, Deb Kaplan and Rick Kaler recently for the podcast, and they have a new book out called Coupleship Inc. 
and they're both business-minded folks as well and therapy folks and right and so it's just this fun confluence of interviewing folks that are both business and therapy minded and that language of well yeah like of course you're gonna have a mission statement like that's just like a given if you don't have a mission statement as a business like that's business school 101 like Mm -hmm. we don't you know and so you know allowing the ideas of the business world the positive ideas of the business world of feed into family life and creating that shared sense of mission for who are we, what do we stand for, where are we going, plays into drawing forward family values and can can be that kind of looking glass to go back and look through and say, okay, we've got this big decision about a career transition. Well, we said our mission is to be a rooted and grounded family in our community. Does moving help us facilitate that? Maybe it doesn't. Maybe we said our mission in our family is to be a family that explores the world and enjoys new opportunities. Cool, new job. Heck yeah, that helps us fulfill that. Right? Neither mission is right or wrong, but like it provides guidance on whether this career change is, is right. So I, I love the idea of making that explicit. Yeah, and, and I and I really like um yeah, I, I, I completely agree, agree with that. And I think that the the nice thing about it from from my perspective is it's it's very much looking toward the future, right? Which is kind of how we started this conversation about how, like, yeah. in my experience, couples have a, have a much easier time agreeing on that stuff than they do about some of the present day difficulties that they're facing. It takes the takes the spotlight off the hot button issues in the moment. However, the process, like, you don't develop a family mission statement by ignoring those like individual habits and attitudes and, and values as well, right? Like it, it's, it's baked into the cake, so to speak, when, when, when you actually go through that exercise, it, it it's a way of calling out, right? What is actually most important today without focusing on today's decision, uh, which, which I, I find it, it can be, can be very helpful. Is part of what you're saying too, is like, as we, as the couple drafts their mission statement, it's going to highlight where they have maybe the resources to fulfill the mission and maybe where they don't have the resources, both within themselves and their psychological abilities, but also financial uh, resources, relational skills. So like uh, as couples start their journey together, they may not have all the tools that they need to fulfill their mission. They may need to go and acquire or develop some of them. And so it's, you know, while we're we're shifting energy off of the presenting kind of concern issue to the future, it's also almost in direct response to say like, well, what's your mission? And then we'll decide what tools you need to develop to fulfill that. Is that? Yes, ab- the- absolutely. And, and it also, um, to, to me anyway, it's like the values and things that you put in there are values that tend to be developed over the course of your life. Right. It's, it's a way of yeah. looking back to childhood and your experiences with money growing up and, um, understanding where you've come from, like that—that's kind of that—that's going to be formulated into whatever you come up with for for this mission statement. I have specific exercises that I do with, with couples that kind of help get to that point. Yeah. Um, but it, it's a way to blend the the ghost of Christmas past, the ghost of Christmas present, the ghost of Christmas future, so to speak, while being while yeah. looking at the future. Right. Well, well, we're our eyes are on the future, but we're pulling in these the, the the experiences that we had to get us to this point. Maybe said in a simple way, uh, 
when we take the time to reflect and say, you know, mom and dad did this well and this not so well in their relationship and with money, how does that set the stage for what we want to do well, what we want to try to avoid, right? Because that, that past does shape some of that, what we, what we think mom and dad did right or wrong. If mom and dad are a reference point, but we, we need to come to our own conclusion about what we want to do with our life. Agreed, yeah. Uh, like th those sorts of things almost always come up in those conversations, almost always. And it's never where we start. Yeah. Like, it, it always comes up in the process of getting to, um, getting to that point. Right. It, it's, yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, we have memories for a reason and we, you know, we pay wise to, to heed them, but we don't, we're not subject to those either. Right. Like your past is not determine your future when you're intentional and you're working towards something with a clear mission to it. Yeah. You can, you can change the generational patterns around money and relationship. Yeah. Completely agree. So Bill, as we bring this time together to a close, what's a parting piece of advice, guidance, hope, wisdom that you'd love to, to leave folks with? Yeah. I think whenever you are facing a financial, a tough financial decision where you know, you're at odds with your spouse about when you're, when you're not sure what to do, like whatever the case may be. Um, I mean, I, I'm, I'm just going to bring it back to where we started because I think it's really important, right? We want to use the rear view mirror, but don't get stuck driving the car only looking in the rear view mirror, right? We want to keep our eyes on the road ahead. Um, while not forgetting to look back as well. Right. Couples have, couples have the most, troubles with these kinds of things when they get stuck in the past and it's really easy to get stuck in the past um, depending on the, the the nature of the the topic of question and so understanding that examining that and processing what's happened in the past and how you got to the marriage is important but it's not going to get you through the marriage either and um, so just keep giving your space to do both Giving your space to do both. So it's great. Bill, where can people find you and your wonderful book? Yeah. So um, the, the best place to connect with me is on Instagram. It's at Pace Center Planning. Uh, the book is called Marriage Centered Money. You can get that at marriagecenteredmoney.com. And yeah, so there's a few bonuses there as well that you can get when you when you get the book through there. Yeah, it's been great to, to chat with you here today. Awesome. Bill, thank you so much for your time and generosity of spirit. It's so great to be a part of a larger community of folks that are all working to help couples clarify their financial life and where they're headed. Uh, listeners, I invite you to check out Bill's website. And if his work has resonated for you, reach out to him and connect with him and, and start that process. You don't have to do marriage and money alone. There are great professionals like Bill out there that are ready and wanting to help help out. So Bill, thanks so much for your time today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. No problem. I invite you now to stop for five or 10 minutes and reflect on what you just heard. Maybe even journal about it. Give yourself the time to consider what you just heard and what it means to you. By giving yourself the time to reflect and integrate what you just heard, it will help you along your journey of learning, healing, and growing towards financial intimacy in your life. Please like and follow this podcast and share with someone that would benefit from being on the journey of financial intimacy. Wishing you healthy love and money, Ed.